Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello, and welcome to the Milestone Pursuit podcast. This is, of course, the podcast that brings you a few things. It brings you the occasional workout where I record myself doing a session and you can download it, plug it into your ears and run alongside me as if I'm there with you. It's the podcast that brings you recovery rambles where I run nice and easy around the beautiful but today windy and a bit overcast Epping Forest and talk about something that's on my mind. And it's the podcast that brings you conversations with the elites as part of our scheme to invest in British elite marathon running. And today... On Saturday the 15th of July, that's what we've got in part three of our mini-series into women in sport, looking at the changing dynamics of women's sport through the eyes of people in the sport predominantly and running. And today, that conversation is with Natasha Cochran. Last time we spoke to Charlotte Perdue in episode two of our little mini-series, and we talked about her childhood, how she got into running, how she stayed as a runner through her teenage years, as well as a bit of chat about the present day. And today we're going to take that on a little bit with Natasha and we're going to talk about her college experience in the US and also talk a little bit about the present day. Oh, it's windy today. But before we get into that, a bit of an update. And it's an update from Emma. I remember in the last episode, I spoke about Emma who runs a nursery and how she told her kids at the nursery all about her 100k multi-day ultra race that she's intending to do. And the kids told their parents and the parents were heard saying, uh, she must have got the distance wrong, it must be 10k. Well, she did it. She did her 100k and she enjoyed it and she reported back that more than half of the finishers were women. And then this week she spoke to the kids again, talked them through it, drew maps of where she was going, talked about how she navigated the hills, how she coped with fatigue and now she's got the kids doing yoga, getting active. And she's even setting up a lunchtime fast walking slash run walking group for the mums. How amazing is that? Just brilliant. Just shows what can be done. Shows the power of the chain reaction. People inspiring people to do things they never thought were possible. In fact, it's people who are doing things they never thought was possible, inspiring others to do what they never thought was possible. So if that's amazing, this conversation with Natasha, which we're going to get into now, is interesting. It's also frustrating. 
perhaps a little bit shocking in places and maybe and probably a bit maddening so let's get into it shall we apologize in advance for a little bit of croakiness that goes through this recording I had a bit of a cold this week woe is me but I'm getting through it so the next somewhat croaky voice you'll hear is me but mainly the next 45 minutes are about Natasha and her story and her thoughts Now, Natasha, in Lauren Fleshman's book, Good for a Girl, she talks about the fact that well over 50% of the women's teams in athletics are coached by men in the US, in the collegiate system, that is, and less than 3% of men's teams are coached by women, which given that equality in sport is a big feature of the education system in the US, feels a little awry. But you've obviously experienced that because you went to college in the US, so I'm really interested in understanding what your experience of the coaching setup and the team setup in the US? Yeah, so I guess likewise, I was coached by a head coach that was male and also the assistant head coach was his son, so also male. Um, the sprints coach, throws coach were also male, so full male coaching staff on the university team that I was in, which was very difficult because obviously women are different to men, so not having any female coaches on this coaching team was yeah difficult did you feel that at the time did you notice it was it obvious that it would be a problem uh so it was more obvious my second year because the first year we did actually have an assistant coach that was female but she was only in position for a year before the head coach's son then took that position so it was made more obvious my second year because we went from a full male coaching staff team with one female to absolutely no females at all. So I think because it did make that shift, it was very obvious at that point. Yeah, okay. And when when was this? Remind me when you were over there? Uh, so I I think I left in 2011 um, and then graduated in 2016. Okay. So I was there for five years. So you left the UK in 2011? Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. Yeah, so you left 10 years ago, just a little bit more than that. And so at that point in time, it was a very male-dominated arena that you were in with the coaches. Was that what you were used to before you left? So were you used to male coaches, male PE teachers? Uh, so obviously PE teachers, it was split 50-50, male-female. Um, I was a member of the athletics club. My coach was a male at the time, but there were the odd like female coaches down there at the club. But again, predominantly male coaches too. How is that for you? How is being coached by a man? Uh, I find it fine being coached by a man. Like all my coaches are obviously very supportive, very good coaches, hence why I'm with them. But at the same time, it would be nice to have options of female coaches, even if it wasn't like specifically my coach, but just to have those female coaches and role models within the sport um, so you can reach out at certain times. Um, I think it is slowly changing. You are starting to see more females within the sport, um, but maybe not so much on the coaching side, more on like the nutrition side. And you kind of see it more on social media. Yeah, so at your level and for elite running and in team sport, generally in the collegiate system in the US, it's still dominated by men. 
yeah, massively dominated by men. And even beyond just the coaching staff, the NCAA system, you have several sports, like the whole sports system is all interlinked within a university. And beyond the coaching staff, it was pretty much all male employees within the team. It's like the um, support team was all male. Even the admin team for the sports side was predominantly male. Yeah, which I think supports this idea that what we are told by the messaging that we see around us is that sport is for men and it's provided by men and women's sport is a bit of a byproduct rather than the thing. Yeah, definitely. I think that was also very noticeable in the US in university because that is how the NCAA works because they have certain rules where they have to have a certain number of females to make up like the number to against the number of males and obviously American football the teams are huge so that's all male so it felt like the women um, athletes on the university team were purely there just to make up these numbers to satisfy the NCAA rules so like obviously athletics is one of them where there are female athletes and then there was a all women's rowing team also coached by all men but it seemed like they were definitely there just to make up the numbers to Mm. fulfill this rule. That's really interesting. So Title IX, which is the legislation that was put in place in the US in the early 70s, was, and that was done to provide equal access to all parts of education in the US to men and to women, and not just sports. That goes broader than than sport. That's my understanding of it anyway. So what what that created then was a system where if there was too many men uh, as you say that american football being such a male sport do it, i mean i don't even know if women play american football do they i think they're starting to now but right. i know when i was in university it was men's sport that was it yeah so so to create equality and purely on a numbers basis they over prioritize women in other sports yeah so we were purely there to make up the numbers yeah. So you were purely there to, to create the conditions for the American football team to exist because exactly. coll- collegiate American football is obviously really strong, isn't it? And very commercially successful as well as uh, competitively successful. Yeah. And that's where like a lot of the sponsorship and the money, the revenue comes in from the American football mm. and slightly the basketball as well. Not so much, though. Um, so that is like where the money came from to support the athletics team as well. So obviously, American football and basketball were priority but at the same time if without us they wouldn't have fulfilled the rules so they needed us too yeah so what's really interesting about that is obviously you know the story about American football in the college system is you know you get 80,000 crowds don't you going to some of those games so it's massive it's almost as big as the NFL in lots of ways so they've got to get that right but the only way they can get that right within the title nine legislation is as we say by making sure women are provided for elsewhere but what that creates is an idea that that women are there to support men yeah exactly we were there to support that team and we had very little support ourselves despite being the ones that were like essentially bringing in revenue too because without us they wouldn't have got all their sponsorship and everything else Mm, yeah so you're a woman being coached by men and presumably there was lots of men in the team as well. Yeah, yeah. Did it feel like you were a second-class citizen throughout that time? Uh, it did in terms of the coaching side. Like, we were always second to the men. They definitely placed more focus on the men. They didn't have a good attitude towards the women's team. But then in terms of our male 
um, teammates, like the men athletes, they're actually hugely supportive for the women, which was a big help. So despite our coaches perhaps not providing us the support that we needed, the male athletes, I think they did a great job at, I guess, almost doing what the coaches should have been doing and supporting Mm. us better. So the system was working against you and was working for men, but the people within the system were treating it equally and trying to be supportive as they could. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, which is, I think, really interesting because there is a lot of what we see in how women's sport is not prioritised as being systemic issues and not necessarily individuals. And it's one of the reasons why people will say, but there's no problem because I support women and I'm a coach that supports women and and we provide sport for women. It's just that they're not taking it up or because there's no female coaches or whatever it might be. But this system needs to break and to be refixed rather than individuals take responsibility for it but the system needs support from everybody within it yeah I think even the coaching staff they probably didn't see it as they were supporting the men's team better than the women's team I think they just weren't educated on how to support women versus how to support men um like it wasn't rare for them to make comments like we had attitude problems we were scared to compete whereas they just wouldn't say that to the men so it's just like little things like that it's just unnecessary and not good for women's performance and women in sport. Um, but it might be more of an educational thing rather than them thinking I'd rather coach men. I'm going to support the men better than the women um, rather than doing it on purpose. And did the, the male coaches spend any time trying to work with you as to understanding what was different about you, your body and how you, you were made up? Not really. I think that was a problem as well. More, probably uneducated around it like we quite often have comments not necessarily directed straight at us but definitely comments around weight like women generally carry more fat than men um the coaches in america were very much under the attitude of the thinner you are the faster you are so they didn't like the fact that the women's team carried more weight than the men um so like whilst they did sometimes address certain issues like that they address them very wrongly and just not not correctly that's something else that lauren fleshman talks about in her book is when she turned up in at college and she went out for lunch or whatever with the team and she was eating burgers and pizzas and stuff and they were all, all eating green salads to try and keep their weight down and there was but they were institutionalized in that thought process and they were talking to her and looking at her as if she was the mad one for not worrying and obsessing over her yeah. her weight um because it becomes so normal it becomes yeah, so that normal that's that, very much the way it was at the university I was at too like we'd go out for lunch when we're traveling on the road to like races we'd drive six seven hours so we'd obviously stop for lunch and all the men's team would be having like pasta loading up on the carbs pre-race while the women's team would be eating the salads which was normal like that was seen as normal which Mm. looking back now is definitely not normal no and not good for performance no exactly but did you feel pressure to follow the others and to eat the salad rather than the pasta Yeah, I think that's where, like, I've never, I've been fortunate not to suffer from any eating disorders, but I definitely say that I've not had a healthy relationship with food. And that's definitely where it's all stemmed from. Um, I'd say probably 50% of the team had eating disorders. And I mean, they're pretty open about it, especially now, like years, years on, um, all recovered. And yeah, they're very open about it. But back then, probably, yeah, 50% of the team were actually diagnosed eating disorders whilst the rest of the team obviously still had 
an unhealthy relationship with food. And that came as a result of your experience at college. Before you went there, you had a healthy relationship with food. Yeah, it's obviously hard to like pinpoint a certain like this is when it starts to happen. But I'd say college is definitely like where I'd say I would notice it. Well, you were at such an impressionable age and you'd left home and you'd gone to a new environment. Why wouldn't you think that that was the thing to do when you get there? Yeah, and I think prior to that, I was just me on my own I wasn't really on social media I was just in school living like a normal normal child not even just an athlete just like surrounding myself with other people that weren't necessarily athletes and then obviously went to college and was surrounded in this environment and then also social media started I started to like go on social media more when I was in college so I think the impact of being in that environment in college along with the extra impact of social media all came at the same time so it was definitely during those years like what the actual reason was and what the main reason was I don't know but probably was to do with the environment I was in yeah and the environment you come from at home so being brought up in Wales and you had an older brother so you lived a very normal in inverted commas whatever normal is but a normal upbringing where you didn't really overthink these things just cracked on with it Exactly. I just lived as a normal person, just wanted to get faster, wanted to work hard. And that was it. Yeah. And interestingly, because of that pressure, you probably took away some of the things that led to your success up until that point without realising. And it's not your fault, but then you get there and performance doesn't go quite to plan and you're scratching your head as to why you've not got the support network because the male coaches have got other things to think about. And it all starts to unravel a little bit for you. Yeah, and I think you obviously take on the environment that you're around. So, like, everyone wants to get faster and stronger. And we're being told if you lose weight, you get faster. So, obviously, everyone wants to get faster. We'll hold on to anything that will hopefully help our performance. But whilst we were thinking it was helping our performance, it was actually having a big negative impact on our performance. So, it was like a downward spiral from there. And then the worse we performed, the harder we tried to lose more weight or run more miles and yeah down a spiral and that was the other thing so we've spoken before about this the other thing that happened at that time was they increased your volume from what you were used to in within the training system and again not knowing any differently you went with that and your body started to break down yeah I think again like I thought the harder I work and they obviously promoted hard work so I thought the harder I work the faster I'll get the worse I started to perform I'd work even harder. So if I had a bad race and it wasn't uncommon, the other girls on the team would do the same as well. If we had a bad race, instead of recovering from that race, ready for the next one, we'd go out and do like a another run as punishment for a bad race. So You're just pu- punishing yourself. Yeah. So like digging ourselves into an even deeper hole than we were already in before. And then obviously like two weeks later, go and race again. And we're in an even worse place than we were the prior to the prior that and yeah then go out for another punishment run so <laughs> punishment runs I mean they talk about that in, in schools don't they so making kids run around the playground when they've been naughty and stuff you go why are we turning running into a punishment and but you're punishing <laughs> punishing yourself yeah yeah so I, I say punishment run but we're like optionally doing it but because we had a bad race we'd be doing it yeah sure I mean what you're doing is you're going right well I talk about it after a marathon people are in a dangerous mindset for two reasons they've either nailed the race and think they're invincible and so go out hard against pretty quickly after the marathon or they've had a bad yeah. race and want to put it right immediately and then they go out and try and 
cook themselves too hard again straight away and in both ways end up with injury um yeah. so we've got to take our medicine we have to recover before we can kick on but it's it can be hard to do especially if we're pressurized and especially if we're not getting the advice that we need and the focus that we need yeah especially when you're with people with a very similar mindset to you as well like if you're there with your friends who are also wanting to go out to do this extra run because they ran badly like it's even better you've got friends to go and do it with so mm. and that way we were like going even faster pushing each other on the run after the race so yeah it was a not not a good environment but and did you see, see that in the male team as well uh the male team were just racing significantly better than the female team so yeah didn't didn't really see it and how much of their performance being better is down to male coaches or down to the nutrition stuff we spoke about before? What else was going on, do you think, that was leading to their stronger performance relatively? I think the coaching, um, like the female athletes were probably doing basically the same training as the male athletes, which we shouldn't have been doing. Like females are different to males biologically. But also psychological side, I think the female team just went in a good place psychologically because of the support around us which had a bigger negative impact on our performance, whereas the male team didn't have that um, like negative side. They actually had like a good mindset going into the race and just performed better. They performed how their training would suggest they would perform, whereas I think the female team, our training would suggest that we should be performing better. But then because of our negative and like poor psychological side of things, we weren't performing at the level that we should have been performing. That psychological perspective does that that comes from the coaches so your attitude towards what you're being told and the the way that you were being treated yeah I think so it's just more the comments like saying mm. that we're too scared to race and like the attitude problem like we then go into races thinking like our coaches think we're too scared to race and then you just don't race very well almost like if you think you're going to not do well in a race likelihood is if you're going to go and approach a race with that attitude you're not going to do as well. Which is really interesting. Do you think the men were getting similar messages or not? No, definitely not. No. So they're not setting you up for success psychologically. They're not thinking about how you're going to be motivated, how you're going to respond. They didn't care. Essentially, no. And they, they'd always make comments like we're too sensitive. So they wouldn't like make comments about like performance. But then obviously telling us that we're too sensitive is making a comment. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. And a negative one of that. I mean, what are you going to do yeah. with that? Right. I'll, I'll, okay. I'll just be less sensitive. Shall I? How are you going to measure that? How are you going to know you're being less sensitive? How are you going to react to things differently the next time? It's bonkers, isn't it? No, it's definitely a different environment and definitely a different environment to where I'm at right now. Yeah. So let's move on because you still have male coaches and you've had male coaches throughout your life. Obviously, it's slightly different in the team system. You're now on your own and you've had, since you've been back in the UK, you've had male coaches. How are they treating you differently and how does that work for you? Yeah, so when I first came back to the UK and started running again, I actually joined an NCAA coach that coached privately on the side. And I yeah, specifically chose him because the universities that he was coaching at, his female teams were all doing exceptionally well, like almost better than his male athletes that he coached. So I saw that as, okay, he knows how to coach a female athlete. Um, like clearly his results showed that um so yeah I joined him in 20 I think it was 2017 and yeah made really good improvements worked really well with him um and then I joined my new and current coach in 20 I think it was 22 
um not yeah it's not been too long and it's yeah working really well also made big improvements so yeah I think it's all going to plan good that and which is great to hear and with, with those two can you put your finger on one or two things that they've done that's really supported you as a woman that's distinct about the way they'd coach you versus the way they'd coach a man uh, so I think the original coach, so Tony Houch, and he was the NCAA coach. Um, I think the support that he offered just outside of the, this is what your session is, this is what your mileage is for the week. It was more like the way that he talked to me pre-race, the support outside of the, um, like the workouts and that. It just really helped me. It's like really positive um, mindset going into races, going into workouts. He understood that not everything goes to plan um maybe more so for a female than a male and I think that just yeah that relaxed environment as well just really helped me yeah and it's a dreadful cliche but it sounds like a more empathetic environment one where he's he's actively seeking to understand what's going on for you rather than applying labels thinking that you should be a mini man and you should be capable of xyz and let's crack on yeah I think he just knew that there were differences and he had to expect differences in like performance and training like various times of the month for example he knew that some some weeks I'd be more tired and yeah just just more understanding of how the female body works as well so he spent time understanding that about you or that he was applying principles that he'd learned himself over time yeah I think just just more what he learned over time like we didn't really talk about anything specifically but I think he just knew and understood that, okay, she had a bad workout. That's fine. It's in the past now. Let's focus on what's ahead of us. Like we didn't hold on to anything that didn't go right. It was just all about putting things right that we could focus on in the future. Yeah. Okay. And un- an understanding from his perspective as to why that might be and communicating that with you and and a good two-way dialogue about what is and what's not working. Yeah. And I think the other thing that we or was really good for me as well is because I went from that intense environment that I was in in college um, where like I had to run these crazy miles and it was just an intense environment didn't really enjoy it or why well, I stopped running completely when I uh, finished college so when I was getting back into it and joined Tony it was just a relaxed atmosphere it was all about enjoying it again like if I didn't enjoy it then I wasn't going to perform and I think that was just what I needed at the time when I was getting back into racing and running. And I guess it's easier being on your own in that sense because you haven't got the pressure of the team around you and being told what to do or obviously seeing what others are doing and trying to keep up with them. Yes, there's the pros and the cons of being on my own. Like It's very hard sometimes to do absolutely everything solo. But I think probably at that time I needed to be away from the runner mentality of work harder, let's push each other race every run it's not so much like that anymore I think I mean I quite often go with runs with other athletes after races like competitors and it's very chilled we don't push the pace we know that this is a recovery run so it's not like that so much anymore but yeah I think it did me good to step away from that and just do everything solo and find what worked for me before working with other people again yeah and getting getting your balance back and like you say enjoying it if you've been through a time when you weren't enjoying it for all the reasons that you've spoken about getting back to enjoying it was was key and one more thing's interesting is that you have men who were providing 
an environment that wasn't supportive and wasn't productive for you when you're in college in the US. But since you've been out, you've had men helping support you and creating an environment for you that works. And that's for me what we speak about when we talk about male allies is, you know, it's not men's job to help women with sport and it's not men's imperative to make it happen for women, but it, we can support or we can make it worse. Yeah. That's, that's a choice that we can all make. But right now what's working for you is having men who understand and who pro- help provide an environment that works for you. Yeah. And I've, like I said, like my college teammates, the male college teammates, they were very mm. supportive. And even now I'm still in touch with some of them and they're like so supportive. They even make comments like, I can't believe like how well you're doing considering how badly it went when you were in the US. Like they could see what was happening. And yeah, they're really supportive of how we've turned it around. You think they should have spoken up at the time? Uh, they quite often did. Especially, and you've probably heard um, Chris O'Hare, obviously he was a top British athlete at the time and very successful during college. Um, He was on the same team as me. And then his younger sister joined the team at the same time and he was like quite protective over her, like proper big brother kind of role for her. And I think that made him take responsibility to stick up the women's team. And yeah, he quite often stick up for everyone. He really got on with the coach which probably helped a lot he the coach actually listened to him whereas they wouldn't listen to the female team so yeah they definitely did like try to make it a better environment for women but I think it was beyond their capabilities to really make a change yeah you can obviously you can flag things and raise things but it doesn't always lead to the system changing but it might do in time there's certainly no downside in trying yeah exactly now, the other interesting area that you've mentioned already is social media. So you are alone at the moment. You train on your own and you've obviously got male and male coaches supporting you. But social media is also there for you and creates a bit of an environment where perhaps you're not on your own because you are able to share what you're going through and how you're feeling on social media. How how do you use social media now versus how you used to use it? And what are the pros and cons as you see it for, for your performance as a woman? I think now I seem to go through phases um, depending on like where I'm at in my training block. um, That's where I am psychologically, like if I'm in a positive mindset or not. Um, I try to share my personal experience on social media and like where I am in my training block as truthfully as I can without. Yeah, I try and I try to share what I can, um, the ups and the downs. I think naturally everyone shares the positives more than the negatives, which is great. But at the same time, if you're someone looking from the outside and looking at everyone else around you and you only see the positives, it's hard when you aren't doing so well. You like look at it and think everyone's doing so well and why aren't why aren't I doing as well as them? Um so I think so long as you're aware of that, then it's great. Um but yeah, it has its negatives as well. So when you look at other people's posts, uh, people who you may be competing with either for a, a Great Britain vest or you're going to be competing with in certain races or competing with internationally, do you take it with a bit of a pinch of salt as to what they're saying because of that sort of desire to be positive all the time? Yeah, definitely. I think especially now, like, I guess, more grown up, more aware of everything. And when we go to races, whilst we're all competitors, we are actually really supportive of each other. We're all friends. Um, like, yeah, we all talk. So it's nice to see our competitors doing well. Like, I think 
great good for her like I'll give her a like a comment on whatever like cheer them on but obviously they are still competitors and they do still share mostly the positives so do take that with a pinch of salt too yeah and I think that's probably always been the case there's old stories of Sepco and Steve Ovet and how they would wind each other up with pretending they've been working out more than they had and um, trying to get messages to them so they would break each other basically and I think with today we have to be careful with social media that we don't overinterpret what everyone else is doing and see ourselves as being weaker or less good because somebody else is is seemingly smashing it yeah and I think it's really easy to fall into that like seeing everyone's doing great I'm not doing so well but you need to notice when you're falling into that mindset and pull yourself away from it like I quite often do that if I feel like I'm going on social media and seeing everyone doing amazing and I'm thinking my training's not going so well. Why can't I be like them? I'll step away from social media for as much as I can. Like, obviously, I still share as much as I can because it keeps sponsors happy. It puts myself out there more to potentially get other sponsors and connect with more people. But I do try to step away from it. I don't scroll so much and look at what other people are doing. Yeah. For me, the classic one is Strava. So it's when when people are injured and they're on Strava, it is the worst place to be. You can imagine you're scrolling through it. And even on Strava, people are trying to present perspectives where they're they're doing better than they actually are. And you look at it and you look at it, oh my God, that person's just smashed out XYZ session. They're doing unbelievably well and I'm injured. This is bad. And it's, yeah. it does genuinely make you feel worse about yourself, it leads to a lack of confidence, can undermine your recovery. Just turn off. Yeah, exactly. I think so long as you're smart about it and can recognize yourself doing it, though, you just need to be able to do that so you can focus on yourself rather than what other people are doing. Mm. I don't personally use Strava because I know that I would get obsessed with stats and looking at absolutely every stat possible, comparing everything. So that's the reason why I don't use it. And also, I just think it's a waste of time. Like, I'd rather be using my time productively to work on something else that's going to help me whether it be running like stretching or whether it be towards my job or education something like that so yeah that's the main reason why I don't use it but yeah yeah. fair enough and what about social media is different do you think for women than it is for men in the in what you do as a as an elite athlete Uh, I think more people or there's actually a bigger focus on women in social media for athletes than there is in the men's I mean that's just an observation from my side but I think if you look at how many female athletes have really high followings versus the top male athletes their followers are probably quite a bit lower than female athletes Um, so I think female athletes definitely are being watched more or have more followers for whatever reason maybe more pressure from sponsors for female athletes to be more present on social media than male athletes even though they're probably earning the same money but otherwise I think yeah it's quite in terms of running it's quite equal so why do you think that is that because I think that's right that more with female athletes get more followers their posts get more engagement than male athletes why do we think that is I think it's partly the women's mentality as well like there's more women and younger girls on social media like I think younger girls are more likely to be on social media than younger boys or if younger boys are on there but yeah I think that's that's what I'd say it was yeah I wonder whether there's something about sharing so men are less comfortable sharing than women 
and I think that's possibly something that goes back to our uh, our upbringings yeah because I'm not sure that usage of social media is any different from male and female I suspect strongly that men scroll a lot more but possibly post less and that would be a hypothesis that one would need to prove but I think it is interesting that women appear to be under more pressure to be posting more regularly maybe because it's there's a more female audience that you need to reach maybe because women are underrepresented in sport generally there's a sort of unspoken of pressure for you to speak up and be present as a woman in sport maybe sponsors expect that too Um, yeah maybe um like on the male side it's more based on performance whereas female side it's based on the overall athlete like performance looks social media mm. it's just more of a rounded image to a woman than a male whereas yeah, yeah if you're the fastest you're the fastest you're the best athlete but if you're the woman you need to be good at all these other things as well yeah which leads that leads in nicely actually to where where i think there's an interesting story about the role of femininity in sport for women because in the documentary game on which is produced by sue anstis who's written the book game on she talks about one of the issues for women in sport being the femininity issue and the the need for women to be doing and appearing feminine as they do stuff and that's why it's interesting when you see particularly athletes actually looking good dressing up makeup on nails done you know for a hundred meter sprint whereas men I mean, maybe the sprinters yeah. actually do kind of make themselves look good, but there's no pressure on men to look good on the track. Whereas you get the feeling that there is for women. And when you extend that to other sports, you know, look at the difference in the way that men's beach volleyball players are dressed and the way women's beach volleyball players are dressed. Look at the way netball players are dressed relative to basketball players or even footballers. And you think, why does that need to exist? And do you think that's part of all of this? Uh, I think it is. But at the same time, I think it's relative to wider society too like if I go into the office and workplace women probably spend an hour getting ready in the morning the men just throw a shirt on and show up at work so I think it is just representative of the wider population and yeah the outside world as well as coming into the sporting world yes it's not alien to me because I see it in the workplace as well Mm. well and you've lived it all your life you're a woman so you've experienced the the need to be look, looking after yourself and looking good throughout. Um, yeah. If anything, it, it could even be a positive though, because I know growing up, I quite often look at sport and think, oh, that's for tomboys and that's just for men. Whereas now you do see like really feminine, or I know it's very stereotypical, but very feminine looking women competing at the high level. So maybe younger girls who are also super like girly girls might look at them and say actually I could be a sports person too Mm. yeah it's interesting because there's definitely no sense that there's a right or a wrong because it's about individual choice and the ability to express oneself in the way that you want to but I suppose the danger is if there's a pressure for you to look good when you're competing in real life or on social media which I think is a factor for for lots of women is that something you feel yourself for that pressure to look good yeah, definitely. Now that obviously social media is such a big thing, um, and the more followers you have, the more likely you are to get sponsorship deals and earn more money, whether even outside of actual racing. So there is definitely a pressure there, which is maybe negative in that respect. And do you think men feel that pressure too? Because what I see now with male athletes on social media is lots of pictures of them at the track, 
often in hot weather, not wearing very many clothes and looking ripped. Do you think that's part of it for them too? They, or do you think that's more of an ego thing where they just want to look good on their social media? There's no pressure on them to look good. No, I think there would be a pressure from the men's side as well. So that's probably is why that it's changing for them as well. Like they're feeling that pressure too. Mm. So I think especially like the Gen Z generation now, the population, they're very much talking about like diversity in every aspect of life. So I think that should hopefully have a positive impact on sport and everything because they're wanting to make it more diverse. If you look a certain way, it doesn't matter. Like you're still an athlete. Yeah. I'm just thinking as we're speaking there about footballers, the footballers, they they now take a male footballers in particular, take a huge amount of stock in how they look. You know, when they get to the end of the match, they strip their shirts off and they're obviously, you know, they're, they're huge and ripped and they look great against those metrics. But as soon as one of them shows a little bit of a belly or is not ripped, they, they get shamed. Men have got that going on too. So there probably is actually a pressure on them to look good, just as there is a pressure on women. But maybe it's different because of where it's come from and who's driving it. You know, Yeah, no, there's definitely a pressure for both, though, I'd say. Yeah. Yeah. Have you ever experienced pressure from a woman in any of those aspects that we've spoken about around nutrition, the way you look, um, the way you present yourself in social media? Is it all either from you or from men or from where, where do you think it sources? Um, I think it depends very like personally on the individual where their pressure comes from. For me, it quite often comes from myself, but I think that's just because of my personality and who I am as a person whereas someone else's personality I think they probably even in the same situation as me they might feel it more from someone else but Mm. I have seen like certain comments about like weight or how you look which I think whilst I say no it doesn't impact me because I know this I just take it with a pinch of salt it's what someone thinks it's not the truth um like really it does impact you yeah so the social media comments you mean yeah, yeah. Yeah. So you post something, a picture of you running and someone says you look awful or you look X, Y, Z and it does hit you. Yeah, yeah. I think like even if you tell yourself it doesn't, sure, like, yeah. you know that you know that it's not true, but yeah. in reality it is in the back of your mind's like playing on your mind a little bit. Yeah. So how do you deal with that? Do you do you literally just try and shut it away? Do you try and take them on? What what's your Yeah, no, I just just shut shut it down, shut it away. And just forget about it. it obviously it takes a bit of time to forget comments like that but yeah just forget things and again I think that's very independent on who you are like what how you deal with things but yeah that's how I deal with things yeah because the danger of the internet and this is true for everybody and everything is that you're obviously exposing everything to the world and I don't mean everything because we don't share everything but you know whatever it is you're posting about you're sharing something that someone somewhere is going to take exception to or yeah. Um, have a bad day around and say something they probably wouldn't say to you in person and we sort of have to build up a sense of uh I guess a barrier that stops that getting to us but it's not always easy to do and I think one of the key tricks for me is to you know as soon as you post something just go right it's posted it's done I don't really care what the comments are I'm not even going to look at the comments because you know you're going to get someone who's going to say some stuff that they is not very helpful yeah and I think that's the other thing like you might get a hundred positive comments of people being really supportive being really nice and then you get that one negative comment and that's the one that stands out so you just got to look at the bigger picture and think there's a hundred nice comments this is just 
such a small thing that you just ignore it. Totally. I would liken this to people when they provide feedback on others in the workplace. When you're coaching someone in the workplace or managing someone in the workplace and you're talking them through feedback, one of the things I always used to say to people and still do now as a coach is, remember when we're going through this feedback, the feedback will say as much about the person giving the feedback as it does about you. So it will tell you about how they think, not necessarily what's right. Just because they're saying it doesn't mean it's right. It might it just tells you what they're thinking or way their brain works and what's going on for them. And the same is true in this world, isn't it? So if you've got a hundred posts or a hundred comments rather, 99 good and one's not, that says something about that one person. Exactly. And even if the comment or the negative feedback is somewhat true, like, okay, cool, take that and think I'm going to improve that or like whatever it might be. But the likelihood is it's not going to mean a lot because you've got these hundred other comments that go against this one comment. Yeah. Yeah. And most of those comments are from men, aren't they? The negative ones. Do you know, I think it's changing. Do you? Yeah, I think, which is, yeah, probably not a good thing that actually women Mm. are actually pointing out other things about other women I don't get it too much but I do see it on other athletes and because there quite a few other athletes do openly then share the negative comments I think Ailish is doing a really good job of shaming people um, or like showing or educating people even because she'll pick out those bad comments even if she doesn't shame the person that yeah. made that comment she will pick it out and explain to the wider followings that this isn't okay yeah um, which yeah obviously I don't do that but some athletes do and it's it's really good that they do as well yeah I I think that's good and I think that's it's interesting that people handle it in different ways and it's definitely yeah. not about shaming people because that I suspect will make the problem worse rather yeah. than better because you can get into a fight with those people but just explaining why it's not okay what impact it has how it makes you feel and why it's going to lead to what it's going to lead to. So in this instance, you'd share less, wouldn't you? If you if people exactly. are constantly criticising you, share less, and the world's a lot less rich as a result of people sharing less Yeah, and learning just, from each other. I think I notice it more with Ailish as well, because she, she does get a lot of negative comments because of how many followers that she has got. Yeah. And obviously she shares a lot on social media. She's really good at um, like sharing her story and everything else. Um, and like she will point out like, this is a man making this comment and he's got a daughter, which almost makes it worse. Like he's got a daughter who should be more understanding of females. Yeah. Um, but she has pointed out quite a few female comments like on her. So yeah, I think it is very split between who's making the comments. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting, isn't it? But I, I feel that this is a type of thing that would affect women more. So there isn't anyone who's, I can't think of a male who's out there saying people are saying stuff about me and it's not okay but Ailish has to because she's a woman and she's receiving it more so therefore or arguably receiving it more and therefore feels like she needs to do something on behalf of all women not just herself yeah I also think maybe if men do or male athletes do receive the comments so they might not share them either they might just not feel the need to um, I guess similar to they don't share as much or on social media in general yeah um but yeah, I'd say it's more aimed at female athletes. Yeah. And what's interesting there again is you're speaking about Ailish and there's a few others you haven't named them, but named them, but I'm, I can think of the type of people you're talking about. So people who, you know, who, who are competing at your level in Britain at the moment. And they are people who are relatable to you and they are what I would describe as the female role models who are relatable. So you're, you've got a group of you 
who aren't necessarily, you know, speaking daily and friends, but you, you're kind of in the same boat as each other. And there's a commonality to what you're going through that might well make it easier for you. Yeah. And I think, like you said, we're not the same. We're like competitors, but we are very respectful of each other. And like, if someone made a comment about one of my competitors, I'd 100% support my competitor rather than support the comment. Um, so I think that is a good thing as well, like especially in the UK in endurance running, whilst we're competitors, I feel like we do have a really good like connection with each other and we will support each other in that way. Even if I haven't really spoken to many people that much, then we'd still support each other. Yeah, both male and female. Yeah, which I think has changed because I think previously there was, like, if you're competitors, there's that rivalry in absolutely every aspect of life like social media just everything you've got to be better than this person and that was how it was but yeah now it's not so much the case we support each other push each other on and then the only time we actually are against each other is when we're on that start line but as soon as the race is finished we're back to supporting each other again yeah yeah which actually leads to improved performance i think because you're not trying to knock each other down you're not trying to injure each other trying to hurt each other trying to psychologically damage each other you're all trying to get better and understanding that there's a group of you that's quite a big group now that are actually helping improve standards overall yeah and i think that is why british endurance is where it is now because there are so many of us pushing each other and raising the standards so you need to keep up to be in that group of people and yeah that's why the standards are being raised Mm, i think it's fascinating yeah definitely it'd be interesting to see where it is in years to come when perhaps like my generation of athletes are retired as athletes but maybe stepping into like coaching roles and various other roles within athletics but not as athletes i wonder if that will also make a bigger impact on equality yeah and performance and because we spoke about that before the understanding what it's like to be a woman competing is going to lead to improved performance you would think yeah hope hopefully hopefully yeah. we can make that impact when we're retired <laughs> well fingers crossed well you're not close to retirement yet so it's all good so, <laughs> so, so carry on running but thank you very much for sharing your thoughts we'll leave it there for today and um, and just to say to conclude you're running in the world championships on the 26th of august so the very best of luck and hope the other have a great race in Budapest. Yeah, thank you. Okay, there we go. Interesting, frustrating, shocking, maddening, amazing as well. Plenty in there. It's worth saying at this point that the World Championship Marathon for which Natasha is the only representative by the male or female for Great Britain is in Budapest on the 26th of August so keep your eyes peeled on that and there's a few things to say about that little chat the first is that she refers to the fact that women are different from a biological perspective and we don't get into that we may well do in future episodes talk a little bit more about the biology but it goes beyond biology because it's clear that there are some things that are very different for men and for women certainly in her experience of college life and perhaps beyond and there's three things I just want to draw on the first is the domination by men 
And here I'm talking about the fact the whole coaching team, the whole setup was led by men. But it's more than that, because we can go into that idea that men's sport is actually dominating everything. Well, certainly dominated her experience of college life. Look at American football, how it's impacting directly upon her development as an athlete. And that's because, as she describes, it's set up around the American football team, the male sport. The women are there to make up the numbers and they're treated as such. Now, whether the coaches have that specific and very conscious mindset that really it's just about the boys and the American football and therefore we don't really care about the women is another matter and it may not be but that's not the point the point is the culture that exists is that it's about the boys it's about the men and actually Natasha shared with me a, a link to a blog post by one of her college mates and in there there's this brilliant line a maddening, saddening line it says one of the things that she was told when she got her rings for competing at the NCAA Championships, which is a symbol of your quality as an athlete, she was told by the male coaches that that's not the ring that she came to college for, implying that she was searching for a wedding ring rather than a collegiate performance ring. So whether it's a direct influence or not, that idea that they have to have women represented in order to create the room for the American football team to exist. Creates a culture, it sets a tone that it's all about the men, it's all about the boys. And I guess that links to the second point that I wanted to draw out, which is about institutionalized behavior. It's about doing things that appear normal because everybody else is doing them. And in this, I'll draw upon the idea that the women were told one thing about diet, the men were told something completely different. But the system somehow normalized that, and so it wasn't challenged. Then that leads into the third point I wanted to make, which is that it would appear that the way you look matters in women's sport. And Natasha talks about how that's a wider societal issue. That it's important how women look, it's important to them. But isn't that an institutionalised behaviour? A societal norm? Something that we think of as normal when perhaps it's not. Of course individuals are free to make their choices. But when it comes to overt levels of pressure as applied today by social media, then it starts to become a problem. And in our discussion on social media, I feel that we asked a lot of questions, but we didn't get to any answers, and I'm not sure where there are answers as to why certain behaviours exist, who's driving them, what's important and what's not. Perhaps that's a subject for another day. But what is clear is that that pressure to conform to societal expectations, whether that be as a woman or a man, it can lead to institutionalised behaviour where you do things that you think of as completely normal, even though they may well not be. So that's three interesting, perhaps maddening themes 
There is a flip side, as there always is in a nicely balanced world. And the flip side here is, Natasha spoke really nicely about the role of male allies, how the male athletes would stick up for the female athletes at college, referencing Chris O'Hare, but also how the male coaches she's worked with have really sought to understand her as a human being and, let's face it, are getting the best out of her as a result. She came out of college miserable, miserable with her running anyway, and now is soon to compete for Great Britain. The other thing that I want to talk about on the flip side was the support of competitors. I think it's a really interesting point that the people she's competing with both nationally and internationally are going through many of the same things. The pressure to perform, the physical exertion, the social media attention, sometimes unwanted, and that idea that they support one another in all but the race itself is fantastic. It creates a community, a sense of togetherness that prevents isolation which seemed to happen in her college days because they never, her teammates and her, never really shared those things while they were there. And the interesting thing about both of those things, on the flip side, so the male allies and the support of her competitive group, is that they both require empathy. A really strong degree of understanding about what other people are experiencing and facing and doing so without judgement because that's how we can create real lasting change both individually and collectively. And then the final thing that I think is really powerful through this is the level of self-awareness that Natasha now possesses having been through this troubling journey. She's now got a really clear sense of when she needs to be independent and crack on and do her own thing focus on herself and when she needs to use the collective whether that's in social media around the competitors the competitive set and of course her coaches and I think together that empathy that self-awareness mixed with her undoubted courage and talent as an athlete makes her really strong helps build her resilience and I think will almost certainly have helped her get to where she is now. So that's it for today. Thank you as ever for joining me. I hope you're enjoying the mini-series. We're in the middle of it now. We're going to get into some biology soon. So I'll be back again very soon for some more. And in the meantime... Please take care. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.